Well, greetings East Campus. It's good to be here with you. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is John McHale, and I serve as a community groups pastor at Parkview Church. Um, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11 is where we're going to be. Philippians 2, 1 to 11. This podium is just massive. So much bigger than what I'm used to. I love it. So as a church, we've been working through a series in the book of Philippians, which is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. And last week, what Paul called us to and Doug Fern preached on was this striving together side by side for the faith of the gospel. And he used this imagery of the shield wall, that we are side by side protecting one another, unified in community on mission, would be maybe some other language that we would use. Community on mission. And so if, if we want to think about it this way, last week Paul pushed us together in community. And this week, what Paul is going to give us is the secret to staying together. And so let's read the passage, Philippians 2, 1 to 11. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray and ask God for help as we look to his word. Father, we need you. I need you. This passage is so powerful and so brilliant and dynamic but I need your help. I pray that you would take my weak sermon and make it strong by your spirit. I pray that you would take what is insufficient in my words and make them sufficient by the work of Jesus. Father, we need you here in this place. We need you to dump your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would anoint this time, as we proclaim and declare your word, I pray that it would cut where it needs to cut, that it would encourage where it needs to encourage, and that it would challenge us where we need to be challenged. 
I trust you for that work and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Harmony is so important. Harmony. Now we could look to many different areas in our world and draw out this idea of harmony. But one area where it stands very wonderfully is in the area of music. I was talking with a friend of mine, Mike Koble, who works as a band director at the junior high right up the road, Southeast Junior High. And he was telling me about harmony because I am musically illiterate, musically handicapped. I don't have a musical bone in my body. And so I was asking him a little bit about harmony. And Mike was telling me that harmony is when more than one note resonates cooperatively, when notes work together to make something beautiful and cohesive. And if you've ever been to an orchestra and seen an orchestra play, the harmony they create is wonderful. It's beautiful. You have many different musicians from different instrument families all coming together to produce something beautiful. And there's a richness to the harmony of an orchestra. There's a richness, a substance, a depth that is unmatched by just a solo musician. Paul is pleading in this passage for harmony among God's people. This is what we're going to see as we uncover what Paul is getting at in this passage. We're going to see that God's vision for God's people is harmony through humility. Harmony through humility. And we're going to flesh this out with two points. The first, the way to harmony is humility. So we want to make that connection. I want to show you how Paul is connecting harmony and humility. And then the second point is Jesus empowers our harmony through humility. Let's look at the first point. The way to harmony is humility. Look at verse 2 and 3. This is what Paul says. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one of mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Paul shows us in these two verses, he connects harmony and humility. And he says God's vision for God's people is harmony through humility. Harmony in the way he describes think the same, feel the same. The translation being in full accord, it literally means fellow souls. That our souls would be intermingled and interwoven into that life-on-life community. That our lives would be woven together. Paul is commanding us to be unified in our thinking, in our feeling, in our being. And you think about an orchestra and an orchestra's harmony. Paul is saying, if you want to make beautiful music as the people of God, you need to align yourself with every aspect of your being. With all of you, become an us and align yourself in thought, Action, feeling, and being. 
And then he gives us the way to get there. Say, yeah, sign me up. I want that. I want to make beautiful music as the people of God. I want to join in what God is doing through his people. Paul says, then be humble. Humility. Humility is a heart posture of lowliness. He says, consider others. Recognize others as more significant than yourself. In a sense, it's almost as if you walk in on a Sunday morning and you, you lift everyone else around you up like people are floating on the ceiling as you walk in on a Sunday morning. But probably better than that image is, biblically speaking, is the image of getting down to a lowly position. That the way of humility is humbling yourself, is getting down on your knees and humbling yourself. So then you look up, people are more important, more significant than yourself. In the Old Testament, humility was actually literally bowing. It's a posture of lowliness. And Paul is showing us that the way to harmony is humility. A great example of this as we gather as God's people are the people who volunteer for childcare. For those of you who have young kids, when you come and you drop your kids off, there's a volunteer in that room serving and contributing to the harmony of our body here. And what are they doing? They are giving up time. They are giving up their own presence in this Sunday gathering. But they're giving it up for the sake of another person. They're giving it up for the person's spiritual nourishment. They are contributing to the harmony of God's people. Harmony through humility. But how else, how else do we see this played out in the life of the church? I think every time I come, I often see people giving up their time and energy to serve and make, make this moment happen. I think of the guys who come and set up early. They're giving up their, their slow morning coffee to come here and put up chairs. They're considering you all more significant than themselves. And can you imagine if we all came and no chairs were set up, nothing was set up? There would be this moment of chaos. They very very tangibly, very literally, are contributing to the harmony of God's people as they gather. I think of another way that this is played out in our life in the body of Christ is in our community groups. One of the things I've learned uh, in my own group, but also in the groups that I engage with, is when we, when, we, when we actually are getting to a place that we need to get to, there's going to be a little friction. There's going to be a little conflict. Maybe you are in a, a conversation where you share something vulnerable and someone doesn't respond in the best way. They kind of clunk around and maybe, maybe say something that's even a little more hurtful. You have a choice in that moment. Do you punch back? Or maybe go behind their back and punch them? 
or do you count them more significant than yourself? See, I know that person didn't mean to, to cut me. I'm going to treat them as more significant. And what does that do? That pulls that person closer. It builds the unity and the harmony. Because you have not pushed that person away, you have pulled them in. I think of life at home. What does this look like at home? Oftentimes, in marriage, in parenting, someone will say something that is hurtful or say something that is foolish. And the way of humility is counting that person as more significant than yourself and absorbing what you can absorb. Hey, maybe you do need to have a conversation with that person. But it's done with a heart posture of lowliness. It's done with humility. And this is going to produce harmony. Now, there's a dynamic that Paul acknowledges. And my friend Mike Koble actually acknowledged it when he was telling me a little bit about harmony. He said, harmony is when many notes work together to make something beautiful and cohesive. And the next thing he said was this. Dissonance is the opposite of harmony. And that is when sound waves are in conflict. Dissonance. Paul acknowledges dissonance in this passage. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And the language here is strong. Paul says, don't even think one thought motivated by selfish ambition. Because he knows that when a person begins to think of themselves, to obsess over themselves, to, to basically run over the community for the sake of their, their own ambition, it's going to kill the harmony that God is trying to create among his people. Now, Paul wasn't just warning these Christians against the temptation towards selfishness and pride. There was actually dissonance presence in the church at Philippi. He's, he has a specific situation in his mind. Later on in this letter, in chapter, or in verse, yeah, chapter 4, verse 2, he names two women that are in a conflict, and he invites them to agree in the Lord. He's pleading with these people to strive for harmony through humility. To put on that humble posture. But the problem is, our default mode is towards dissonance. Because we are obsessed with ourselves. Martin Luther, uh, one of the great reformers in the 1500s, he had a Latin phrase, uh, and it's pronounced incurvatus inse. It's this idea of the curve inward. And listen to what he says when he's commenting on the book of Romans. He says, Our nature, by the corruption of the first sin, being so deeply curved in on itself that it not only bends the best gifts of God towards itself, but it even uses God himself in order to attain these gifts. Because of sin, because something has gone wrong in our hearts, we have this curve inward. 
And what Paul and Luther are trying to get us to understand is that even when we have the will to look outside of ourselves, even when we have the desire to serve and love other people, pretty soon, it bends right back on us. And maybe you've, you've uh, experienced this when you talk talking to a friend of yours, and no matter what you say or, or what question you ask or some story you share, it, they always end up talking about themselves. They bend the conversation always back to them. The, the, uh, there's a magazine that... Um, there's a magazine in New York called The New Yorker. Go figure, right? Um, and the cover, a few years ago, in like 2015, the cover was, um, was this hipster dude. Uh, he had a tattoo sleeve and the little fedora hat. And he was curved in on himself with his smartphone looking at his belly button. And they quoted Martin Luther here to try and give us kind of a tongue-in-cheek point to say we, in our culture, as Americans, are so incredibly obsessed with ourselves. And this, this makes the problem even worse. Because we live in a culture that is warped, totally and utterly warped by individualism. The kind of individualism that where self is sovereign where independence is a virtue. And so, we got problems. Because even when we come in here and hear about our sin and hear the good news of Jesus and how he heals us from our self-obsession, we go out into a world that reinforces and reminds and reprograms us and so what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Our hearts don't help us. Our culture doesn't help us. What are we going to do? Well, Paul knows where to go. Paul goes to Jesus. Jesus is where we go. And he gives us, in this passage, one of the most glorious portraits of Jesus and his life and his ministry and his exaltation. And so that brings us to our second point. Jesus empowers our, our harmony through humility. Look at verse 5. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, most commentators agree that this passage uh, even going down through verse 11, that this passage was a, a hymn that was sung at the church gathering way back when, when the church was first getting going. There was this hymn that they sang. And what Paul is doing is grabbing this hymn 
to try and make a point. And it is, this hymn is so profound and so powerful, and I would commend that you dig into it, study it, learn about it. But what's important is that we focus our attention on why Paul is pulling in this hymn. Why is he, in a sense, pulling out the big guns? In baseball, they have a pitcher that's known as a closer, right? The closer, is he seals the deal. When you maybe are up a few points, you got a few more innings, you say, hey, we need to pull in the closer. Seal that deal. This is what Paul is doing with this hymn. He's like, hey, let's pull Jesus in, let's seal the deal. I, I'm pleading with my heart and my soul for harmony through humility, but Jesus is going to seal the deal here. And there's two ways that Jesus empowers our harmony through humility. The first way is he makes harmony possible. He makes harmony possible, and he does this by rescuing us from our self-obsession. Jesus rescues us from our sin, from ourselves, from this curve inward. And he does that by dying the death that we deserve. This is exactly what Paul zeroes in on by using this hymn. He dies the death that we deserve. And he does that to make forgiveness possible. He does that to make reconciliation with God and with one another possible. He does it to make harmony possible. And this brings harmony to our dissonant hearts. And it frees us up to now be humble, to be agents of harmony through humility. The second way is he... he, uh, He empowers our harmony through humility by giving us an example. Jesus gives us the best picture of humility. The best picture. As he goes from God to cross. He goes from exalted divinity, enthroned in heaven, worthy of all worship and praise and devotion. And he comes down becomes a man, but even goes to the cross. A place of shame. A place of rejection. He gives us the best picture of humility. The text says he empties himself. He pours himself out. Taking the form of a servant, laying his life down and enduring the shame of the cross. All to restore harmony in God's creation. So we see the same dynamic in Jesus and his work, that Jesus humbles himself to produce harmony. Jesus empowers our harmony through humility. Now, if you've ever been to hear an orchestra play, um, I haven't been to a a ton of orchestras, but there's, there's this moment when the musicians are warming up. They're warming up their instruments, and it sounds kind of like, you're like, man, I hear some music in there, but everyone's like not on the same page, and it's kind of chunky, maybe is the word I would use, I guess. Um, But the second the conductor walks out, 
All of a sudden, all the musicians start to silence and quiet. And the conductor takes his position, and with the flick of a wrist, he produces something beautiful. And as the musician in a symphony, in, in an orchestra, as that musician is playing, they in, in some ways have one eye on their music and one eye always locked into the conductor. One eye on their music, one eye on their conductor. Full attention at the conductor. Because he's directing the harmony. And this is kind of what we're saying with Jesus empowering our harmony through humility. Jesus, he brings harmony to our dissonant hearts with the flick of a wrist. Jesus comes down from heaven and gives his life away, dies on a cross, and produces harmony. And if the Christian life is anything, it is one eye on our life, our responsibilities, and one eye on Jesus. Always looking to him for his example, giving us a bar, giving us a way to strive for humility for the sake of harmony. Now, what, what, is, what does this look like in everyday life? Let's, let's try and massage this passage into our experience in life under King Jesus. We've mentioned the child care worker. And so maybe, maybe there's someone in there working who has been volunteering for child care for years and years and years. Maybe they, maybe they don't even have young kids anymore. And they're just, this is my post. I'm going to be there. This is the way I'm going to serve. And the way I'm going to consider others more important than myself. It might be that every once in a while, that volunteer asks a question. Why does nobody else serve? I see that person every Sunday, and they never serve. Why, why, why does it always have to be me? You, you hear the, the, the self-preoccupation, the self, the curve inward. What about me? Now, how does this passage help us here? What it does is this passage gives us a better story to tell ourselves in that moment. This passage meets us in that moment. When we start, when we get stirred up, what about me? Why is this person not helping? Why is it always me? This passage gives us a better story. This passage says, you know what? Your humility actually produces harmony a way that you can worship and serve Jesus and his people is by laying your needs down. By taking the lowly position. Because you know what? Jesus did for you. Jesus went from God to cross on your behalf. And he gives us a reason to tell ourselves a better story than the one that we hear in our culture or the one that we hear in our hearts. Now, it's not to say, like, we don't want people burning out, and, like, we want to help our volunteers. What about, what about at home, in a marriage? Let's take that for example. How easy is it to start playing the comparison game? 
hey, it feels like I'm pulling more weight here. It feels like I'm doing more of the chores. It feels like I'm working more hours. I'm spending more time with the kids than you are. This passage gives us a better story in those moments to say, wow, this is a great opportunity to take the lowly position and consider your spouse more important than yourself. And what happens is you become an agent of harmony. You become a beautiful, wonderful agent to produce harmony in your family, harmony in your marriage. And I guarantee your spouse is going to notice that if they haven't already. God's vision for God's people is harmony through humility. And I, you know, I've come the last few Sundays uh, to worship with you all here. And I I have to be honest, I I haven't told Doug Fern this, but I I really believe East Campus is on the verge of something big. I really think that God is doing something here among you all. And not like nicer building, though that that will happen, not hundreds of people coming. The bigness of what I think East Campus is on the verge of is really grabbing hold of this vision that God has for God's people. This vision of community on mission, striving side by side, for the faith of the gospel. This vision for living Christ, for setting Christ at the center of our life and having a singular purpose to live for Jesus in all of life. On the verge of capturing and committing ourselves to harmony through humility. And what actually happens is we, as we give ourselves to this vision, we become beautiful music to our world. We become that symphony to a broken, dead, self-obsessed world. Who are these people? They've given themselves up for the sake of one another. What, what is happening over at that gym on the southeast side? Who are these people? Becomes a beautiful Beautiful song to our broken world. So God's vision for God's people is harmony through humility. You want to be a part of making beautiful music here? Pursue humility. Because the way to harmony is humility. But keep your eyes on Jesus. One eye on your life, on your ministry, one eye on Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who is going to empower our harmony through humility. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we, we pause um, after we have heard your word. And just, just pray, God, that you would plant seeds deep within our bones of this vision for humility, this vision for harmony through humility. 
I pray, God, that as we go out into our week, I pray that you would, you would flutter these truths up in our minds as we engage in life, as we uh, meet with our community group, as maybe we, we have thoughts of self-obsession. I pray that you would remind us quickly of your word by your spirit. We need your spirit so much. We're never going to do this without him. And so I pray, God, would you fill us afresh? Would you do something beautiful with East Campus in this city for your glory? And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.